what technological problem or what did Bitcoin solve? It didn't really invent anything new per se. It collaborated a bunch of existing technologies in a unique way that no one's ever done. People have to realize that central banking has nothing to do with human innovation. It's just a form of doing finance. Just imagine how much more freedom and interaction that if we actually had something that was fair to everybody and not some people get to create wealth out of nothing while others don't. Out of 100 million Canadian dollars, 97 million of them are digital. Our monetary system already is digital. Do you want the open market securing your digital money or would you prefer a small conglomerate group of people controlling the digital income that you use? Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Balloon. Boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest started off his career as a young entrepreneur. He made his first company at the age of 14. In his 20s, he was involved in the nightclub industry as a DJ. And then he got involved in the crypto space. He has been a crypto trader. He has been a crypto miner. And he is currently making a powerful new documentary about the crypto and DeFi space. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, Peter Ratnikov. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to have you here, my man. So, Peter, we here at the Thought Leader Revolution cater to entrepreneurs, cater to people who have a dream and want to make it come alive. These people are champions of freedom, free expression, and free enterprise. They want to learn from you before they can open their hearts to you, man, and take in what you have to deliver. They got to get to know you a little bit. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Peter Ratnikoff? Well, I think uh, growing up with parents that were entrepreneurs, they, they migrated here from uh, USSR as soon as it collapsed. And yeah, they've had jobs at times as well, but always those, they were building a business and eventually the jobs were just supplemental to their business thrived. So I seen both my mother and father in different lines of work. My, my father ended up succeeding mostly in the car business. My mom ended up getting more into like sales positions and then opening her own kind of independent firm. So seeing that around me kind of like had my mind open to a different way of life from the beginning, right? Where maybe a lot of my friends had like stable career jobs, their parents, and they had more kind of um, straightforward goals or mine were kind of always like, who knows what's going to happen one year. I'm thinking this another year I'm dreaming about something else. So at 11 years old, I started working a paper route. Only people born uh, before the 90s could understand. We used to have newspapers. People get delivered every day. I actually kept that job for two years. So I was uh, 13. I had a couple other sales jobs. At 14, I had an unofficial business. I started making a really good income and employing a few people in my neighborhood. By the time I was 15, I ended up getting drivers, incorporating a company, and had a sales, uh, a door-to-door sales company that ran for five, six years. In high school, I was making six figures. So I was making more than most of my teachers in high school. So taking school so seriously, I always had fun in school and I learned some things and I played sports and opened up opportunities to me. But by no means did I think 
that I wanted to be like a teacher or uh, some mainstream of life. And also at those ages, I understood the financial system. Like I, like most people, if you ask them, like there's an apple, apple has a seed in it. You plant the seed, a tree grows from the tree. Eventually there's a flower from the flower comes an apple. Majority of human beings, unfortunately, cannot explain the monetary system. If you ask them, where's the root of the money? Where is the starting point? And what is the process till it gets to you? That's a, unfortunately a topic, maybe now so in the last five, 10 years, it started to come up, but we're rewinding 20 plus years ago, this pre-internet, people didn't really talk about this. I had to like dub VHS tapes for the older people. The younger people, these are like big box things we used to watch television on. And I would have two VCRs and I was copying VCRs of like exposing the financial system was called the original Zeitgeist. So at a young age, I was doing my best to spread the message, but I've always been a positive guy. What I found about the issue with that topic, and for example, George Bush doubling the U.S. presidential debt in two terms, and the next president, Obama, whoever did the same thing, and the same thing afterwards. So the, the debt being doubled all around the world, because U.S. Federal Reserve is the one reserve currency for almost all countries, this was a depressing conversation. So my teenage years, even if I'm hanging out with guys in their like mid-20s, and so this wasn't a topic most people were interested in. And me being a positive guy, I kind of put it on the back burner. I was like, okay, like I'm aware of this. If someone wants to talk about it, great, but I'm not going to push it in people's like reality anymore. So that's why I kind of got into DJing. Like every corporate position or business I, I worked with that had to do with the state or had to deal with big corporations, I didn't feel the love. It felt like something was off. And I was, at that point, I was a little confused being like, I don't know what my past is going to be anymore. And that's why I got into DJing because I love partying. I love dancing and Eventually, I looked around the nightclub. I, I did a manager position for a few years, and I was like, I think the DJ has the most fun at the nightclub. He's getting paid, and he's having as much fun as everybody else. So that's how I ended up getting into DJ. And being an entrepreneur, I ended up having a few junior DJs working under me. I had a sound company, so I'd be for big corporate events, even when there wasn't a DJ and things of that nature. So when Bitcoin finally came across my radar, it was actually um, it was a unique situation because... I study uh, 50 Cent, which Curtis Jackson is his government name, as an entrepreneur long, long before he started making films and things of that nature. When he was just a musician, and he wrote a book called From Pieces to Wait. So I always respected him as a marketing genius, more so than a music genius, even though his music was good as well. I just thought that he was so different. Like his first video when the uh, hum H2, the Hummer 2 just came out, he had like six or four of them in the video, and he was so extravagant, but that was a marketing play. That wasn't him looking to blow as a musician. That was him showing, look, a power move in marketing. Till this day, he's a marketing genius, in my opinion. So I was in Cuba, and I don't watch much television, but 2014, we're out there late night. I'm with one of my women, right? And they're watching a talk show. And then Curtis Jackson, 50 Cent, comes on. This 2014, December. And he goes, I'm accepting all my shows, all my payments, Bitcoin. And I might have heard the word Bitcoin before, potentially, but it never clicked in my mind. Like no one I respected in business has ever brought it up to me. So when I heard this on the talk show, kind of like piqued my curiosity, but I was on vacation or whatever. So I get back home in January and luckily someone on LinkedIn pitched me on a Bitcoin business. Coincidentally, right? So I said, you know what? I need to know what this is. For three weeks, I barely ate, barely slept. I had like a laptop, an iPad open at all times. I'm researching, watching documentaries on the TV or back then it was like YouTubers that were kind of like early day, early day podcasts, you could say. And there was so little content back then. It was like every single piece of real content on the web, I must have watched five, 10 times. There was one or two documentaries back then. There was a handful of 
podcasters, like less than 10 for sure, and maybe a couple that would post daily. So it's very easy to stay on top of it. The news articles were about one to five news articles a day. So it takes you about 20, 30 minutes to read all the news articles. So it's very easy in 2015 to be on top of everything. So it took me about three weeks to actually have like the aha moment of like, wow, this is something different. And as soon as I had that diversified to mining, I got into staking. Well, as soon as staking was available, it was mining first and trading. But the trading was more, altcoins just became a thing. So you would pay attention to like, where the energy or where the gossip was going or where the excitement was. And you just put a part, a small part of your portfolio. And back then you, you seemed like a genius because everything was going up. When you're in a market where nothing is really tanking and everything just going up different percentages, you seem like you're doing everything right. And in the ICO days when they just started, there was a, a lot of mistakes I made in the sense of watching projects, investing and holding them all the way to the top and all the way to the bottom to close to nothing. So we all learn in cryptocurrency different ways, but it really inspired me and really had me so motivated to share the messages. This is something neutral that could help the planet. A good way of uh, like using neutrality is electricity. Electricity could be used for good, bad, or whatever. You could, you could power a church or, or a hospital with them. You could also electrocute someone, right? So electricity is neutral. And I thought we were long doctors said that in the movie, The Secret. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I was back then I got into, like, uh, self-help big time. There. So in, in the early days, I was into all this personal development things, but I didn't know where to apply it to. That's why the DJ thing came in until Bitcoin. And it's so amazing to see that there is now a monetary system that is neutral, right? Because half of all the transactions we do outside of socializing, whether we buy food, whether we go to a sports club, we all interact with a broken form of monetary system. Like the money we use is not a fair system, but all transactions besides basic communication pretty much involves this broken system. So now it's like a, having an electricity that's, that shocks people or doesn't work properly. Now, finally, we have a way of interacting with our money that's fair for everybody. And I just went and spread the message as much as I possibly could. I have some more crazy stories, even one that happened yesterday we get into, but that's kind of the ABCs of how I got super passionate about this industry and this space. So you got involved into trading and you got involved in um, mining. Why don't you explain both of those concepts for people listening to this because you got to understand most of the people listening to this they have no idea what you're talking about like i know for you this sounds like it's basic stuff but you got to understand fewer than three percent of the people on the planet actually have ever had anything to do with any cryptocurrency and most of the people listening to this show don't know what you're talking about so let's hear it what's trading what's mining let's get right to the basics well you go more basic than that what technological problem or what did Bitcoin solve, right? That's a basic thing people should understand, right? So yeah. the thing that the white paper or meaning the concept of uh, literature that came out before Bitcoin, well, that's what a white paper means. It's kind of like a proof of concept for a business, right? Correct. It didn't really invent anything new per se. It collaborated a bunch of existing technologies in a unique way that no one's ever done. So there's been many people who try to make digital cash. There was a e-cash, e-golds in the 90s and early 2000s. Even PayPal, was their goal was to launch a digital cash. And they actually failed, pivoted, and became PayPal. And that was one of Elon Musk's early projects, right? So right. by no means would I consider that a failure, but it goes to show you even a platform like PayPal 
couldn't, before it became PayPal, couldn't figure out how to make digital cash. Exactly. So it's anonymous. This is where it gets kind of confusing for the new people. Some anonymous entity. So we don't know if it's a group of people, one person, whatever the case may be, launched this concept on 2008 uh, Halloween. So October 31st, 2008, this concept comes out. So for a month, for two months, nobody does anything. So I guess this person who put it out there was hoping that it would get some traction, some momentum. But two, two months later, nothing's happened. The white paper is just sitting there. So January uh, 3rd, 2009, he decides to launch the concept himself. So it's called a blockchain because it's encrypted information that's verified every 10 minutes. This is what the white paper explained. And this is the thing that I was solving. So the goal was to make something digital and rare. And this was a proof of concept in the beginning. So he started doing it on his computer, which was like doing encrypted math, the computer doing it on your behalf. And if you win the encrypted math problem first, you get this block. And when Bitcoin started, it was 50 blocks every 10 minutes. So January 2nd, 2009, there's zero Bitcoins on this planet. January 3rd, 2009, you have 50 the first 10 minutes, 100 the second and 20 minutes. So an hour in, you have 300 Bitcoins and so on and so on. For the first four years, that was the algorithm. The four years after that, it went in half to 25 Bitcoins and so on and so on. The math is not as important as the problem itself. So it started with one gentleman on the computer, grew to dozens, grew to hundreds, grew to thousands. So within a few months, you have thousands of people using their home computer to just power what would be the same technology used in gaming. Those are GPU cards or wherever the case may be. They channeled it to mining this mathematical encrypted technology to prove that could we make digital rarity. And for the first year, or maybe a little bit less, 10 months, eight months, Bitcoin was worth zero, zero dollars, zero cents. I think it might even have been 14 months. Like, don't quote me exactly, but in and around a year, Bitcoin had absolutely no value. It was a proof of concept of could we make something digital and rare. So finally, somebody was like, in England, it's like, I have like 10,000 of these things I've been collecting on my computer. They're supposed to be this digital rarity, but I could really use some pizza. And someone in, New York, in America, I think they were in Boston specifically, said, you know what? You want a pizza, man? I'll get you a pizza. Send me 10,000 Bitcoins. So the guy sends him 10,000 Bitcoins. He orders them two medium pizzas. And there's actually a Bitcoin holiday called Pizza Day because of that. Because nice. if you crunch the numbers of what that means today, it's like, the gentleman spent, I don't know, a few hundred million dollars on pizza. On pizza, yeah, that's crazy. It was a proof of concept, right? In the early days, if it got to a dollar, that would be amazing. Like if it got to one dollar, meaning it was one Bitcoin, it was equal to the American dollar, that would have been like unfathomable for the people that were collecting it in the early days, just as a project. Yeah. So now, shortly after the pizza event, it started getting value. And it went from, its first major peak was like pennies, then finally, when it got to a dollar, people started getting excited, and it actually went all the way to $30. This is all 2011 around, right? And I know, I know someone personally who, who put in a big chunk of wealth at $30, and it excited, the technology was so promising, and it tanks all the way back to $2. It was like 2 or $4, maybe 6 or something like he lost 80%, 90% of his wealth. So you're putting in a big chunk of your savings. Man, that was tough. So since the very beginning this volatility scare that people have is understandable. But if you do the basic math throughout Bitcoin's history, besides three years, which were negative markets, but as long as you held for an extra year after that, pretty much the average says every year you double your money because it's, a, it's something rare. 
right? Whereas they keep making more and more US dollars, more and more pesos, more and more rubles, more and more yeah, printing press, right? It's, it's currency it's debasement, off. right? Just like the old Roman emperors used to do. They took their coins and they'd shave them off and they'd add less valuable alloys so they could make more of the coins. It's currency debasement 101. That's what's been going on for what, 100 years at least in the world? Ever since everybody got off the gold standard, governments can do whatever the hell they want. They can print as much money as they want. Before, when we had the gold standard, that wasn't the case. You couldn't uh, increase the money supply by too much, but now you can do whatever you want, and that's causing massive problems, right? Yeah, so I'll give a quick history lesson for the people that are not aware with our current monetary system. So how our money currently works is when the U.S. was started in the 1770s, like 1770, whatever, they had no, no central bank. And the first central bank lasted 20 years and failed for the same reason, printing money. Then they launched a second uh, central bank in the early 1800s. It lasted 20 years and failed. Then for about 60, 70 years, there was no central bank. That was, uh, it was a bunch of independent banks and corporations, pretty much anyone that was trustworthy could issue currency back then. And in that era of no central banks, we invented the steam engine, electricity, telephone. So people have to uh, realize that central banking has nothing to do with human innovation. It's just a form of doing finance. So in 1913, after about five years, they were starting uh, about early 1900s, 1908, they were trying to push a new central bank through, but it got denied multiple times by the politicians and whoever was pushing it through because they seen it was unjust, right? And they learned from 100 years prior that this is not the way to go about it. So sneakily, I think it was the 23rd, like a day or two before Christmas on 1913, one of the, the president at the time pushed through a bill single-handedly to launch this privately owned institution called the Federal Reserve. So even though it sounds like it's federal, it's actually a privately owned company. It was about eight um, wealthy gentlemen that originally owned the Federal Reserve. And there's, there's a great book, um, Creature from, from Jekyll, Jekyll Island. Island. <laughs> yes, you could buy it. It will just break down this whole history. So the genius thing they did is that you were saying they backed the economy by gold for the first 20 years. So what they did in 1933 was they said, anything that's not jewelry, any gold investment bullion you have is now illegal to own in the USA. And back then gold was $20 an ounce. So for the first 20 years where they built this um, in human psyche, this trust in the system is you could walk into any bank in America and most places in the world and hand a $20 US bill and they'll give you an ounce of gold. That was the standard for 20 years. In 1933 comes, they come confiscate everybody's gold. Say it's illegal to own now. Then they make it legalized again, but they raise the price to $35. And no longer you as a, a civilian could go into a bank, give $35 and ask for gold. That was out the window. You could now privately go buy a gold from a broker, but no longer is your money backed by gold the way it was the first 20 years. But apparently nation states can still claim their gold. So if, for example, if Mexico wanted their gold from the US, they could ask for it. So us as individuals, we weren't allowed to, but nation states apparently were. So no nation state ever called for their gold till around late 1960s, 1970. France started asking the US, we don't know about how trustworthy you guys are. Let, let us get our gold. So they temporarily banned the backing of any bullion or anything. And they just said, you know what? We're temporarily gonna just have this currency printed and be backed by the faith of the taxpayer and our economy and the people that support it. So that temporary ban was in 1971. Now, 50 years later, 
we're still in that temporary van, right? So for most people to understand there's an issue with our monetary system because we're so creative and so imaginative and humans have grown so much, we have so much progress regardless we have a broken system. But just imagine how much more doors it can open and how much more freedom and interaction that if we actually had something that was fair to everybody and not some people get to create wealth out of nothing while others don't. And a final point was the president that actually allowed this to happen in 1913 his last um, dying words, you could go look it up. He said his biggest mistake in his whole life was allowing the Federal Reserve to be formed. That's what he said in, on his deathbed, his last day alive. That was his biggest regret. He was a president, super successful human being on this planet. Yeah, Woodrow Wilson was the man who was president when the Federal Reserve came, uh, came into existence. So I did not know that he said that on his uh, last days on earth, but he's right. That was his biggest mistake. There's no question about it. The Federal Reserve is uh, a lot of things, but an unadulterated success, I would argue it isn't. So we've got fiat currency, which is what the world runs on. And people think this is the way it's always been, but it's not the way that it's always been. And 2008, Satoshi Nakamoto be it an individual, be it a collective a group of people who are using one name as a cover, uh, be it a, an identity that has nobody behind it, but just as being used by some people that wanted to do good for the world and didn't want to get uh, in the crosshairs of the central bankers. He created the concept of the blockchain and he created the concept of being able to have money be independent from centralized control. That's correct, isn't it, essentially? Yeah. And the thing about Bitcoin is like, it's limited to 21 million, right? And, but every unit has a hundred million small units. So think about Bitcoin as the big unit, but the small unit is called the Satoshi. Satoshi. There's a hundred million Satoshis in every Bitcoin. So don't get it to me. Think in Satoshis now instead of Bitcoins. Because in the early days, yeah, it was attainable when Bitcoin was $30, $300. For most first world countries, that was very attainable. Now Bitcoin sitting at 40, whatever, 40,000 today, and we could get into details of why we got to such extreme numbers. Don't think of in Bitcoin, think about Satoshis. You can buy a million Satoshis right now, which is 1% of Bitcoin for about 400 US dollars. And the thing about digital rarity, you can't have infinite rarities. So if we say gold is valuable, right? And we say it's rare, but all of a sudden we decide that, that there's 10 other metals that are gonna be just as important as gold, it kind of diminishes it. You can't have infinite rarities. So that's why all the, a lot of projects, there is a lot of projects doing innovative things and like smart contracts to go more details about the actual use cases of this technology to other concepts. But there's a lot of coins that are essentially looking to just be a copy paste version of Bitcoin. And that's what people in our industry call shit coins because they don't do anything different than an existing project. So be careful where you put your money, because if you don't consult a professional or do your own research, so when I say do your own research, I'm talking about 10 to 100 hours. It'll take you at least 10 hours to understand the basics. And after 100 hours, you can have a conversation understanding most of the field. So if you haven't put 10 to 100 hours, don't buy some risky platform, some risky project, because your, your friend that works with you or your buddy at the gym said, you know what, this is a great idea. Or your Uber driver recommended the next- Your next Uber week. driver, that's amazing, <laughs> right? That's, that's like back in the 20s before the great crash in 1929. Shoeshine boys were giving billionaires stock tips. That was hilarious. Yeah, so we're, we're kind of in another version of those, which is, <laughs> it, it, it's exciting and fun parts about it. But 
yeah, just get to know the technology. I don't know how deep you want to go on the technical side, but it's just people to understand that there's computing power that's backing this digital rarity. So the part that people don't see about Bitcoin is there's centralized servers. For example, like our, let's go back to our current money that we use, the Canadian dollar, the US dollar. There's about 3%, you could argue two, five, let's just stick with the number 3% liquidity. Meaning out of 100 million Canadian dollars, 97 million of them are digital. 3 million are in cash and, and dollars and bills and coins. So our monetary system already is digital. So the issue, not the issue, but how it is, they have central data servers that they own, and that what creates this form of digital money. And it's a small group of people that control it, and they could choose how much they want to create, when they want to create it, do they want to give it to their friends or certain places before it goes down the line, others. Whereas Bitcoin is open to the world. So you had a bunch of people voluntarily choose originally with their house computers, then they started upgrading their computers with extra graphic cards. And then around 2012, 13, they started making custom units that were made just to do this mathematical encryption to secure the Bitcoin network. So you have factories that are massive, that are stacks and stacks of computers with fans and, and aisles and aisles of this all over the world, voluntarily, no one's making them run it. They're doing this because there's an economic incentive, but Nobody's forced them to do this. So you have them in Iceland, America, Canada, Pakistan, China, you name a country, it's there, Russia. So Bitcoin mining is distributed all around the world, right? And there's ways we could like, as we're progressing, that there is starting to be very big industrial setups that are maybe arguably need to be dispersed a bit more, but that is the non-physical side of Bitcoin people don't see. What makes this digital rarity is hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of computers these days in factories all around the world competing in the open market to secure this encrypted mathematic code. And the Bitcoin network has never been hacked in 10 plus years. There's been platforms that people sign on top of Bitcoin. So for example, you could become a custodian, like a broker of Bitcoin, open up a company, and maybe that company and many of those kind of companies have been hacked. But the actual main protocol level of Bitcoin has never been compromised. The first year when it was worth zero dollars, zero cents, there was some kind of glitch, but has never been compromised since it had a monetary value of a dollar plus. So that is the non-physical side of Bitcoin when people think, oh, it's just in the air. Well, first of all, the money you use is also just in the air. It's just a difference of, do you want the open market uh, securing your digital money, or would you prefer a small conglomerate group of people who've been running the monetary system for a hundred plus years controlling the, the, the digital income that you use. You know what? That's a really good question. And I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, right? What is it that has you be excited about being involved in cryptocurrency? Because I think that the way you answer that is going to answer the question that you just asked us. Well, what has me excited is it's the first thing in my life that I've seen that could actually change this planet without having to be like, have a language, it's not a language barrier. Anyone in the world can participate in this mathematical system and it's fair. So all of a sudden it's like, okay, here's a better example. If I fly out to Africa or a poor part of Asia or there's poor parts everywhere in the world, right? Yep. 10 years ago, I could have got their Facebook. These days I get their whatever, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever everybody's on and we can communicate, which is amazing because 20 years ago, that wasn't a possibility. But if I want to send this gentleman a dollar or 10 cents, 
without using cryptocurrency, using our current monetary system, it's pretty much impossible, right? You could potentially maybe send a dollar, but it'll cost you $30 to send $1. So in that sense, it makes no sense. So now we have a way of interacting with each other, not just socializing, we could actually build international economies or international businesses or even support. Like if I meet a great family that's treating me like gold the whole time I was on vacation in Thailand, let's say, right? I was doing some Muay Thai training out there and they were awesome, right? And I have a good day in Canada and I make 500 or 1,000 bucks in a day. For right. me to send $5 to someone in a poor part of Thailand is not very much income to me, but that would buy their whole family an amazing dinner, drinks, everything for the evening. So just on the giving side of things, it makes it so much easier to interact with people globally. And now even now go deeper, we could start some kind of, it could be a massive business or it could be a Mickey Mouse business, meaning like they make, make some kind of fidgets, like whatever little accessory that they make, you could now support them and send them money for either resources or you could actually help market and sell their little gadget around the world using because people take for granted the banking system we have. There's only about one and a half billion of the 7 billion people that have email transfers, that have access to PayPal and credit cards and things of that nature. What about the other five and a half billion people? We kind of forgot about them. Yeah, they're the unbanked people. They call them the exactly. unbanked, You have to right? think of the infrastructure of like house phones when they were had to be, all the lines had to be run. Well, that didn't make it to those same five billion people, six billion people back then. They had to wait till cell phones. And once cell phones came out, now majority of the world has access to communication via phone, right? So this is the step that's happening with cryptocurrency. There's no longer a need for people to build this huge infrastructure places to be able to do online banking, online businesses. Now by someone simply spending the 10 hours or 100 hours, I would say 10 hours is more than enough if you plan to just use it. And if you plan to do a business, on it or help people in business in it, then you probably should spend a hundred hours researching it. But even 10 hours, five, 10 hours, just to understand the basics. Now you could have people doing commerce without asking permission from anyone. All they need is in some cases, an email address, in some cases, nothing these days. And they can now do international banking. And the possibility that opens up for the average human in the world is very exciting to me. And uh, there's things that we haven't even thought of yet. Like we haven't even thought of the thought of it yet that are going to like impact the world. And there's people complaining about us using too much energy mining. We use less than one small country in the whole world, but the biggest trend now is renewable energy mining. So now because you have economic incentive to do, to do good and generate profits from it, people are setting up geothermal energies. They're setting up different ways to actually mine Bitcoin from renewable energy. That's one of the biggest trends in Bitcoin mining the last X amount of years. So, I just think it's so much good happening and no one's making like there's a bitcoin on my wall behind me in my apartment i have a bitcoin chain i wear no one's ever paid me from the bitcoin company organization now that we know who they are i've never been once paid to promote bitcoin so think about how much marketing and love this movement has and no one was forced to ever promote it no one was ever paid to market it it just happened out of straight love care and spreading a message what no question there's love karen spreading a message but there's also a uh a self-interested aspect to it because if you're involved in this and you're promoting this it's going to benefit you because if there's more people that are adherence to it right 
the the value of the concept goes up but the value of specific coins like bitcoin and like altcoins is going to go up as well but i got to tell you you've done a really good job of outlining for people why all this came to be why it's valuable why it's important now let's talk about why people today should be interested in getting involved in the world of DeFi, in the world of cryptocurrency. Because I'll tell you for myself, I'm 54 years old, okay? I know I don't look at it. I'm a handsome fellow. I take good care of myself. But I'm 54 years old. I was around in the mid-90s when the internet was coming to be a thing. And people are going, oh, this is the internet. And I had an opportunity to invest in Amazon. Okay, I had an opportunity to invest in Google. I had an opportunity to invest in Apple. I had an opportunity to do all those things. And initially I passed. Okay. Later on, I've invested in Facebook and Amazon and in Apple and in Tesla. And they've done quite well for me. But I'll tell you something. If I'd invested in Amazon when it went public, if I'd just put in $1,000, that $1,000 would be worth $20 million today. You know, and the reason I'm excited about the world of cryptocurrency, the world of decentralized finance is because this is the next great transformational shift in how our society is going to be run. The changes that technology is bringing about are absolutely mind boggling. And the people that get involved in the companies that are at the forefront of the changes today, not 10 years from now, but today in 10 years, are going to be richer than Croesus. They're going to have money like transformational, generational change, life-changing money. And that's what we're looking for, for our people. I want the people that listen to this show to make money in the world that they do, but I want them to invest. I want them to learn about what's cool that's coming up in the world. And DeFi, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, this is it. We've got to get people to find out about this. We've got to get people investing in this myself, my kids, you, your kids, everybody that can, should get involved, should put money in this and should get rich. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. Well, here's my, again, this is my opinion. Maybe I've been around a certain niche of people. So I'm not going to say I can't speak for the world on this, but from, let's say, just throw out some numbers. You meet a hundred millionaires in our current economy, people who made money through corporation, fiat, the original banking system. And you take a hundred people who are millionaires in cryptocurrency. I don't know if it's 5%, 10%, or 50 I know I'm one of those for sure that you could take all the wealth I have for me and let me live in a logical world and I'll make 100 times more money. It's not about the money to me. I will sacrifice everything, all the crypto I have, and I wake up tomorrow and the average person is using cryptocurrency. And I'm not saying dollars and fiat needs to go away. It just needs to have competition on a more global scale. So it's like people be like, oh, maybe I use PayPal, maybe I use Bitcoin, maybe I use dollars for almost every interaction. And there's a lot of us in the cryptocurrency community that, yes, you could say there is a lot of selfish people everywhere, but the average cryptocurrency person or Bitcoiner, I should say, Bitcoin holder, understands the value of the bigger picture. Whereas I feel there's a lot more greed in a system that's limited because there's only X amount of dollars being created and distributed to certain people. And if you're not in that tribe, it's kind of, you work very difficult to get little scraps. Whereas in cryptocurrency, the average person got into it, maybe some more the last five years, but the first five years that people are getting into from 2010, 2015, those people weren't getting into it. A lot of them were already financially well off. It wasn't they were like, okay, I want to turn my 10 million to 100 or my 100 million to a billion. They actually seen something to better the planet. 
And to go back to your Amazon Apple example, anyone that's missed the internet wave, you have a much better chance. But here's why it's even more straightforward. Back then you had to pick a specific company. And that would be kind of equivalent of me saying picking a, a shit coin right now, which would be hard to do, right? If you're not a professional in the space, even if you are, to be able to say that this company is the one that's going to be big in 20 years, unless you have a crystal ball, I don't know. But what you do have the opportunity is nobody had the chance to invest in HTTP and the protocol layers of the internet. You had only a chance to invest in companies forming on the internet. Now, by investing in Bitcoin, Ethereum, there's a, a few big names I can name, like Solana, Polkadot, which are all competitors to Ethereum. Like, Bitcoin has established itself as the grandfather and, like, the digital gold. And you can do a lot of research, we'll get into that separately of why it's the digital gold. But these other layers, right, which are still going to be settled and interacting with Bitcoin at all times, yeah, we don't know which one is going to be, but exposing yourself to these major projects. And you don't have to be into it early. You can wait till a project like Ethereum, Solana, Polkadot, another competitor comes a year, five years from now. You can wait till it gets on the top 10, top 20. You don't have to find the diamond in the rough. And if you're diversifying your energy, your currency, right? The However you get paid, you're diversifying into these protocol layers. You're almost guaranteeing that, yeah, you might not guess the Amazon or the Apple, but if you were able to invest in the internet protocol level and you had, say you had, there was one call, let's say PPP, CCC, and HTTP, which is what your internet is based on, and you have the chance to invest in that first layer, you're almost going to be guaranteed generational wealth because now you have a whole economy, a whole psyche, human beings interacting on this platform that you invested in the base layer. Now you have a lot of more opportunities to now invest in maybe small companies on top of it, but that's more kind of more risky and more knowledge-based, which is also very possible and an amazing opportunity as well. But I mean, you didn't have index funds of the internet. Even though they're technically not index funds, it's just a way of people understanding what it is. By investing in Ethereum and these main other protocol layers, we will have content on the internet or we might have a whole new internet, however the process ends up being out, where we will own our own digital content. This setup of, oh, use everything for free, but we own all your information, seems yeah. normal right now, right? But that's gonna be the biggest change that's coming on the digital frontier. And you have to think about the, the children that have been born in the last five years, in 10, 15 years from now, they were raised with the option of having a neutral way of doing finance. Like all of us didn't have this option. It wasn't in our psyche. But now you have a new generation of kids that are like, I'm at that age too. I'm, I'm about to be 35 in a couple of days. So a lot of my, my friends have kids, you know, a few years old, five, seven years old. All those kids have gone, not all of them, but the ones in my network have gone to cryptocurrency conferences. I had my son, uh, my, my buddy's son, who's like 11, who started mining at seven, who's like a trader, who probably knows more than most adults, he knows more than me about mining. He has his own little rig, he fixes, he updates it. So these kids are growing up with knowing there's other options and that's already in their psyche. And that's gonna open up ideas and concepts that us old farts can't even think of, right? Because they know, okay, I can now, for example, here's a corny example, but the possibility of the new world. You could create something from an idea, and we're all alchemists, right? And you could just manifest it one way or another in the current world, law of attraction, whatever you want to call it. And now it's so much more instantaneous. 
So, for example, that thing that went viral where Chris Rock uh, slapped um, Will Smith, right? Somebody the very next day took $1,000 on, on the Ethereum blockchain and launched a token. You can launch a token very easy. Launching a token is like launching a website. So having a, a real blockchain running or a real ecosystem is very difficult to actually establish. But that's why I mean, it's like those little companies, they're a dime a dozen because anyone could start it, just like anyone could start a website back then, but not anyone could just start a new internet protocol. So anyone could start one of these tokens. So someone the very next day put $1,000 on, on the Ethereum blockchain, built a token called Will Slap, whatever it was called, it was some corny meme. And it was, it was a young person. All of a sudden, within a day, it goes 10,000x, and it's a million-dollar ecosystem. So I'm not saying this is easy or it could happen or anyone, but just the fact that that's a possibility. That would not even be a, something you could even think of 10 years ago. And now somebody taking action off a meme could all of a sudden build a million-dollar economy out of almost nothing, right? And these are the possibilities, just the start of the possibilities that we're going to have going forward and whether you're an older person and you want to play more stable you can have young people being paid for gaming you have young people being paid to interact on all these digital levels that weren't an option so you're going to have six and eight and nine and 12 year olds being able to make more income than maybe half this world right now because of how we're set up and how people are living on a few dollars a day picture all those people as technology gets cheaper and cheaper and when when the wealthier people, especially the crypto wealthier people, like instead of us maybe donating just to a charity, I could go send a thousand laptops or a hundred laptops or whatever the case may be to, or a community leader in this part of the world, a hundred laptops to a community leader in this part of the world, and then get on Skype calls like this with them and whoever else we could make online courses and teach communities how to now interact without asking permission, without having to have bank accounts, without even having to have IDs. You can have a made-up name or an alias, and you could use that as your digital identity and now make a way of supporting yourself and your family online. And this is something that's been long overdue. The infrastructure of how we distribute food, the infrastructure of how much fraud we have in high-end alcohols, clothes, whatever the case may be. There's so many solutions that are going to be solved. And another timid of thought, with this technology, lawyers, real estate agents, I believe there's, if you're good at what you do, I would always rather deal with a positive human being than I would with a machine, personally. But if you ask me, would I rather deal with a depressed, angry human being that hates their job or a computer AI system that's just neutral, I think I'll pick the computer system because at least they're not draining my energy. So 100%. When, when smart contracts become so attainable, it's like, why would you pay a real estate agent 3% or whatever the case, 2% when you could take 0.002% and do on a smart contract online? So there's going to be a lot oh, of disruption. I, I, I'm telling you, this is, this is the disruption of, of the world of these cozy little duopolies and monopolies of, uh, of real estate, of law. Uh, quite frankly, of a lot of uh, medical and health and wellness. I mean, you think about elections right now. I mean, in the United States, there was a federal election in 2020 that was rife with fraud. And, and, and you know, at the time, they're going, I don't know, this is crazy conspiracy theory. But you know what? There's been a lot of proof that's come out of places like Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, three of the states that essentially, you know, were hotly contested and, and rife with fraud. 
evidence has come forward. Imagine if the elections in those states had taken place through blockchain technology. There'd be zero fraud. Impossible for anybody to have fraud. You couldn't have somebody going into old folks' homes, 96-year-olds that are comatose in bed, collecting their ballots and checking them off for their favorite candidate. It couldn't happen. That's the sort of thing that this is making possible. And I think it's very powerful, very important. But I'm telling you, as a 54-year-old man who has an opportunity to leave a legacy for his family, super important for me to get involved in this, create some some possibilities with judicious investments and making sure that my family has a legacy. For me, I think a lot of my listeners are going to be interested in that because the world of investing, right, has been a world that a group of centralized insiders have been in charge. The world of cryptocurrency, the world of DeFi is so threatening to those people because it's doing away with all of them. So, okay, so you say you have new people. Let's, let's elaborate quickly on DeFi because a lot of people, if they're new, they probably don't know what we're talking about. Decentralized um, finance is what it is. So, it's decentralized finance, but more basically like on Bitcoin, for example, it's essentially a decentralized entity. And so people realize the first decentralized entity we had on this planet, on the internet, was actually, it started as something called Napster, which was privately centralized owned. Then it got shut down by the government. It went to LimeWire and four other names, four other competitors. And eventually you had something called Pirate Bay, which is a protocol you download that runs on millions or hundreds of millions of computers voluntarily. And you could download technically pirated music or illegal music. So that's a organization that doesn't have a building, doesn't have a CEO, which is a distributed technology. So that was the first decentralized technology. So Bitcoin and cryptocurrency didn't invent decentralized technology, but they were just the ones to put it on a mass knowledge awareness, right? So Bitcoin is decentralized, right? But you could have an exchange, like we said, or a broker, like me and you could start a company and say, we're going to allow people to trade Bitcoin into all these other cryptocurrencies. And now we're a privately owned entity right? We could be shut down, we could get blown up, whatever the case may be, we could be audited and, and taken away. What DeFi means, it means decentralized finance. So now using these decentralized coins like Bitcoin, Ethereum, you have a, a protocol that's run on smart contracts or computer code that doesn't involve any owner central place. So you have people doing decentralized finance, DeFi with each other, without having to ask permission or having a chance of their wealth being confiscated. That's what DeFi means. So DeFi is just more advanced way of saying a decentralized exchange. Absolutely. But there's a lot that DeFi can, can help us create in the world. I mean, blockchain technology to me is a game changer, not just because there's coins like Bitcoin out there and there's uh, platforms like Ethereum, which allow for us to basically create a whole lot of transactions along the blockchain. Um, by the way, I'm a big fan of Solana's. I own a little bit of Solana. I should own more. I own some Terra and I own some uh, some Cardano as well. But um, I'll, I'll tell you for myself, what's really, really powerful about this space is it allows for 100% trust and verifiability of transactions, which is good for buying and selling, which is good for elections, which is good for creating concert tickets, what have you. This is a brave new world, my friend. And, and I even just like I said, even like a high-end bottle of wine, the, the, the designer clothing you like to buy, there's so much uh, shipment points where they can be stolen and replaced with fakes that you, you could be buying it at the Gucci store, but it doesn't mean it's actually Gucci. But if you actually had a one-on-one authentication that you could verify through this permissionless protocol, 
that's where you're going to minimize all this fraud and all this taking advantage of people. It's going to be when it becomes, it pretty much is very low cost now, but it's going to be almost costless to do this. And once it gets implemented as a standard in most businesses, it's going to create so much more neutrality and fairness for the average person starting a business. You don't have to worry now as a Canadian business owner, if I want to make a high-end wine that I grew here or whatever products we have that makes this unique and ship it internationally, I don't have to worry about the trigger points in between where it could get confiscated, get stolen, get replaced. And if it does, cool, we'll have it verified and we'll take that as the loss. But that, that tracking system without relying on central other entities, you could actually do things more independently and verify things yourself. That's the amazing part too, I find. 1000% agree. I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's really cool. Man, Peter, I'm really enjoying this conversation, brother. And I got to tell you what, you're coming back for me, okay? Because I really love this right. and I want to get into this a few other times. A big part of what I want to do inside the world of thought leadership is bring extraordinary thought leaders in the world of cryptocurrency, in the world of decentralized finance, in the world of metaverse and everything associated with that. I want to bring this to my audience. My audience are entrepreneurs, they're champions of freedom, they're champions of free expression, they're champions of free enterprise. They have their own businesses. We want to give them things that they can use to grow their businesses, but I also want to bring them cutting edge new concepts, realities that they need to be paying attention to that are going to help them take their own success to a whole new level. And I believe the world of decentralized finance, cryptocurrency, and the metaverse is precisely that. So, Peter, we're going to end off this episode like we end off all episodes. We're going to ask you for your top three, what I call expert action steps. These are your three best pieces of advice that you want my listener to take away into their life, into their business, so they can make their life and business better. So what do you say? So step one is, is take some time. It doesn't have to be 10 hours, like I said. Watch a one-hour documentary. That's step one. So you're not getting your opinion for, like we said, not from an Uber driver, not from your auntie, and not from some random on the street. Even not just from my opinion and your opinion on this podcast. Go watch a well-made documentary that's made to explain it step by step. There's no guarantee you're going to understand it. Just think if I showed you a documentary of the internet in 1999, you will have a grasp concept, but until you use the internet, you don't really fully comprehend it. So step one is take a little bit of time, 20 minutes, an hour, two hours to get a neutral form of content for you to make your own opinion. Now take action. You can start with $20, $2 in some cases, $200 is a great number if you're in a first world country and actually use the technology. There's a Bitcoin ATM anywhere you are. If there's not, there's a, if you're in a small town, there's a Bitcoin broker nearby. If he's not in your small town, wherever the biggest small town beside your small town, I guarantee you there's a, a Bitcoin broker. You can go to local Bitcoins to find one. You can go to Bitcoin uh, ATM Radar, I think is the website. It'll show you all the, in North America at least, it'll show you all the ATMs. And go put in $20 and experience this technology. And don't just put in $20 one time. Get that $20 and send your friend $2. Send your other friend a dollar. Send your other, and actually use this technology. Maybe make your friend across the world download this application, which is free, which is just time now, 10 minutes, and send them a dollar or 10 cents or $10 of what you just purchased to experience this technology. So step one, put a little bit of time. Step two, actually take action and use the technology. Once you've used the technology, Step three, there's contact somebody or find a, a, a group, a meetup, or someone that can advise you of how you could benefit in your business. It's very easy to implement cryptocurrency 
and not just Bitcoin. You could have several on your website with no cost to you. And now if you have a marketing team or you're your own marketing team, you could actually copy paste into blogs and groups and be like, hey, I'm a new business owner or I'm an experienced business owner just getting into crypto. Would love some feedback. Here's my links. This is what I'm accepting. And you're getting free marketing. Like the amount of marketing dollars and energy that's been spent on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically with nobody having to do it, take advantage of that. You can now, by taking action, like using the technology, incorporating your business, or if you don't have a business, be open to things coming in your life a month, a day, a year, 10 years from now that through this technology could actually empower you to be a better version of yourself. So for the people that are just haven't started their businesses yet, still use this technology. It's like being aware of the internet in 95 and 99 will prepare you for these social media platforms and all these things because there's so much that's going to come out in this space that we can't even comprehend. So that's why it's very important to learn, take action, and then find a mentor. Amen, man. Amen. And this is information we want to bring to the people. Like I'm in the business of creating programs and content for people to help them become more successful. We're very interested in putting something together in the world of DeFi and cryptocurrency for people. So I'm excited that you've come here and shared your knowledge with us. I'm glad you're going to come back. Thank you so much. Those are three excellent expert action steps. All right. Listener, Peter Ratnikoff, the real deal. The man knows his stuff. Go check him out. Check out the work that he does. He's got a new documentary coming out. Make sure you do that. So yeah, by PeterRatnikov.com or Twitter, all that's the way to contact me. My phone number is all over the web. So don't be shy to give me a text and, and we can schedule a call for five, 10 minutes. Like do that one hour, two hours of research at least. So you're not asking me the same thing we answered on this podcast, but I'm very accessible, right? There's a, on my website, there's a book a call, but if you actually go to contact me, my number is right there. So anybody that has the kahunas to just pick up a phone and call, very accessible. The documentary we're making is not out yet, but it's called Crypto Life. The website is CryptoLife.to. And we have a YouTube channel that's doing pretty well. We're putting all of our um, content that won't be making the documentary on uh, YouTube for now. So it's that. I'm very accessible. If, if, again, if it's not me, I can connect you with someone that's more similar in your tribe or whatever you're looking for. I've been in the community a long time. So I love just growing and expanding this conscious awareness of this new thing that could empower every individual human even if it's one percent more whatever the number the possibility of more freedom and more love is why i'm here good man we're going to make sure we put all that in the show notes thanks for thanks for saying that all that's going to be in the show notes so guys to find out more about the one and only peter ratnikoff go to the thoughtleaderrevolution.com check out the show notes all that information is going to be in the show notes or go to wherever you listen to this podcast itunes stitcher spotify audible Google Play and Rumble. We're off YouTube. YouTube, those suckers, man, they just they just were censoring some of our content. We didn't think that was appropriate, so we said sign out of YouTube, but we're everywhere else. And make sure that you take advantage of this. Make sure that you check out what Peter has to offer. He's offering to get on the phone with you, man. That's pretty amazing. Make sure that you do that. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.